I want you to open your Bible to James chapter 5. This is not going to be our primary text, but I do want us to begin there as we study together. James chapter 5. You know, as I think about lessons that stir the heart, it really depends on the person, and it depends on the time, I think. Um, You know, you might hear a lesson on the cross, and while I suspect that that a lesson on the cross moves us, at least in some way, or should move us in some way, every time we get engaged in that study. There are other times that it really moves us. A lesson on the subject of salvation. When we come to a realization of the depth of our lostness, um, I suppose that a lesson like that could really move us. I think about a lesson on the Lord's Supper. It's been said that Gus Nichols, who perhaps all of us uh, have at least heard of, a tremendous preacher of what we might call bygone days that still preaches as we study texts that he has written, but it was said that there was never an occasion in which he could partake of the Lord's Supper without a tear being in his eyes. And so you think about a lesson on the Lord's Supper and how that might move us. I was thinking about that in relation to the lesson that I have assigned myself to present today. And that's a lesson on the subject of prayer. You know, when we think about the subject of prayer, that's a subject matter that has the potential, if we let it, to really get down into the depths of who we are and to move us. Why? Because God does not hear and answer every prayer. Notice I didn't say every prayer, but every prayer. The Bible says that God's eyes are over the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. And so that would certainly exclude those that are unrighteous. Now that sounds odd, I suppose, seeing that God is omniscient. He knows everything. And so you take an individual that might be unrighteous, and that individual that is unrighteous, which simply means not doing the right thing, a lawbreaker, um, that individual in his state of wickedness, for whatever reason, turns his eyes to the heavens and calls upon God for whatever that might be, well, God would certainly hear that because He is omniscient. He knows everything. But it does not mean that God's going to answer that prayer. You say, well, what about the individual who is in the depths of despair and who is unrighteous and who is praying in the direction of salvation. Not praying that he would be saved in that moment necessarily, but, but praying in that direction. And This mic went bad. It died. So put me on this one. I'll just stay here today. So it, an individual who, uh, we'll get it right. An individual who is in that state of despair, who is talking to God or seeking to talk to God in the direction of salvation, 
And within a month or so, an individual shows up to be in the presence of this person who had been talking to God about the subject matter of salvation. And that individual shows up to teach that person the gospel of Christ and they're converted. Well, whose prayer was answered? Was it the person who was praying for open doors of opportunity? God put people in my place so that I might share the gospel with them. Or is it the prayer of the unrighteous person who is praying in the direction of salvation? I'll let you answer that question. In James chapter 4, the Bible, or James chapter 5 rather, the Bible says, beginning with verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. I was kind of hoping we would sing some extra psalms today since we didn't have to wear a mask. Um, any, any happy or merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Now notice this, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If there has ever been a jam-packed verse, this is one of them. The effectual, fervent prayer, begging, pleading, petitioning of a righteous, doing right man or woman, it's talking about human, availeth much. When you think about the idea of the, the type of prayer that moves heaven, then this is a passage that surely comes to a mind. My prayer has to be effectual and fervent. In other words, I'm going to be praying from my heart and I'm going to be praying with every fiber of my being. And I'm going to have to have a life that is righteous. Not perfect in that we're doing life perfectly, but righteous. That is, walking in the light. 1 John chapter 1. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the Blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So I've got to walk in the light. That type of praying person is going to avail much in their prayer. That's the person. But what about the kind of praying? That's the kind of prayer. But what about the kind of praying? If you go a little further in the passage, it says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed how? Earnestly. And here's an example. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. The kind of praying that moves heaven is praying that's specific. It's not praying that's just uh, almost half-hearted and... and uh, you know, the flippant in nature and not specific. But here's a man who is righteous, who is an effectual, fervent prayer, and he prays specifically that it might not rain. And it, it didn't rain on the earth for the space of three years and six months. Earth there is 
a reference to Israel. And then you notice it says in verse 18, And he prayed again. And the heaven gained rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so, what kind of praying moves heaven? The kind of praying that moves heaven is that which is specific and that which is repeated. Sometimes we give up too quickly in our prayer. Now notice that I'm not saying that we should just pray for the same thing over and over and over and over and over again to the point that we get it because we might not. In fact, we might get something better. Or, a flip side, we might just get exactly what we asked for so that God can show us You really didn't need that. I'm going to give it to you. You sit with this a bit, and then I'm going to give you something better. I'm reminded of when Israel was talking to God repeatedly, and and they said, uh, God, give us a king. They would pray. How did God answer? You don't need a king. God, give us a king. I've already answered you. You don't need a king. God, third time, give us a king. You don't need a king, but I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. And let's see how that works out for you. And so there is a sense in which we need to be mindful of the repetition of our prayer, but it is okay not to give up so quickly, to be repetitive as we learn here. So, The kind of prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The kind of praying, that which is specific and that which is repeated. But I want us to dig much deeper than that. This is a great introductory passage, but I want us to go deeper. If you have your Bible, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 18, the very first book of the Bible. And let's spend some time analyzing a passage that talks about the type of praying that moves heaven. First of all, the type of praying that moves heaven comes from a heart of hospitality. That's the kind of praying that moves heaven. Do you have a heart of hospitality? Well, I have a wonderful heart of hospitality. Every time that there is a a member of the congregation that's in need of of some food, I'm there. I'm delivering the food. Anytime there is a member of the congregation that has a, a prayer request, I let them know that I'm praying for them. Every time that there is a member of the congregation that, that uh, is in this need or that, I try to the best of my ability to meet that need. Yes, I'm a person of hospitality. I wonder if that's how God defines hospitality. Let's look at, at verse 1 beginning. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes... This is talking about Abraham. He lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground. 
and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that you come, pass on, and therefore you come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good, gave it unto a young man, and he hastened to dress it. And he took, you know, this is going to be good because it's got butter in it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Who were these folks that Abraham was being hospitable toward? Members of his family. Nope. Members of the, quote, church, a religious sect, if you will. Nope. Strangers. Strangers. As you continue to read through this passage, and we're going to come to it in a moment, I'll just give you a sneak peek. As these folks were making their way unto Sodom, and as Sodom was looking at impending destruction because of their gross immorality, Abraham said, God, Would you please deliver this city from destruction? If we could just find 50 righteous people, would you do that, God? God, if we could just find 45, would you deliver the city? God, if we could find 40, would you do it then? Or 30, or 20, or 10? Would you not destroy the wicked city of Sodom? Who is Abraham praying for? Say, well, he was praying and mindful of his family, Lot and his, his family. Okay. But I suppose there's another sense in which he was also in deep prayer to God for the city itself. Because most people that love God don't want to see anybody lost. Abraham didn't know those folks. What is that? Hospitality. What I'm saying is the kind of praying that moves heaven is coming from a heart of hospitality. I'm not saying, please don't leave here thinking that Neil's saying that it's really not that important that we spend time taking care of the home folk. You didn't hear me say that. But I'm really into what God calls hospitality. The other stuff is just fun and good and helpful and thoughtful and things that we should do. But hospitality is when we see to the needs and the concerns of those that we don't know. Second of all, when we think about the kind of praying that moves heaven, it comes from a confidence In God's character. Are you confident in who God really is? God is impressive to us in so many ways. One of which is God is comfortable 
with who he is. He knows who he is. You remember in Exodus chapter 20, as we read there the Ten Commandments in, uh, in particular, well, in that passage, the Bible tells us, God tells us who he is. He acknowledges his greatness, and rightfully so. In Genesis chapter 18, beginning with verse number 9, we are impressed even more with the character of God. And it says, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And therefore, Sarah laughed. She laughs within herself and says, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? Bringing Abraham into that. It's not just me. It's old. It's this fellow, he's old. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Now really focus in on verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Adverb of manner. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. This is in a context, ultimately, of prayer. The kind of praying that moves heaven comes from a confidence in God's character. If you back up to chapter 17 and verse 17, the Bible says, And Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Abraham had to get a hold of himself and realize who God really was and is. That he is a promise-making but promise-keeping God. Go a little further in this passage and be impressed with the character of God. Look at verse number 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoke, spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not... I'll know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And as he stands before the Lord, he petitions. So in our next point, 
I'm going to combine this current one with the idea of confidence in God's character with the third, a pleading for God's people. When you think about the confidence of his character, listen to what Moses records for us, beginning with verse number 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? If there are fifty within the city, would you destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That's far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked? That'd be far from thee. Shall not the judge, this is Abraham talking to God, shall not the judge of all of the earth do the right thing? That's confidence in the character of God. God, I know who you are. And I know you're a God that demands justice. And I know that your character will not allow everyone in the city to be lost if we can find 50 righteous. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I'll spare all the place for their sakes. Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He identifies who he is, by the way. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. He said, I won't do it for forty. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. You have a right. But please don't be angry. If we could find 30, would you do it? I won't do it for 30. He said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be 20 found there. Won't do it for 20. Lord, don't be angry. I'm going to speak to you just one more time. What if we could just find 10? Would you destroy it for ten's sake? And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto the place. And, of course, we know the rest of the story in Genesis 19 and 20. Not even ten could be found. And God's justice demanded the city to be destroyed. But as we circle back just a little bit. We've seen some some verses that help us to identify a confidence in the character of God. But third here is this pleading for God's people. And when I say a pleading for God's people, there is a sense in which all people are of God. He created all human. He cares for every person. You know, the Bible tells us who will have all men to be saved 
and come into a knowledge of the truth. There's not a single person that God wants to see lost. Not one. God certainly didn't want to see His, that is, righteous people be lost. But in a secondary sense, He didn't want to see His in the sense that He created all life, all people. He didn't want to see any person be lost. And so if X number of people could be found righteous in the city, he would spare the whole city. God goes above and beyond to try to spare everybody. He makes that way for escape today by telling us exactly what we must do. He gives all of us a way of escape through his divine plan of salvation sometimes referred to as a scheme of redemption, but it's a plan of salvation that is culminated in an obedience to the gospel. And wasn't that ultimately what Abraham was interested in? In obedience to the good news of God? Fifty righteous? Forty-five righteous? Forty, thirty, twenty, ten righteous? Righteous? Right-doers? He pleaded for people. Think about the precedent that this set. This moment in time. Think about the precedent that that this set. In the people of God interceding on behalf of people. You think about David. Didn't David do that? What about Samuel? Samuel. What about those prophets that endured so much? Isaiah. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah thought about giving up. Nobody else cares like I do, God. I think I'm just going to hang it up. I'm going to throw in the towel. And he says, no, I can't do it. I got a fire burning in me. I can't do it. You go over into the New Testament... And you begin with the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. You think about Jesus. Did he not intercede on behalf of others? You think about Paul. You think about that great book of Romans that he wrote in Romans chapter 18. A passage that at least on two occasions talks about making intercession on behalf of others. I'm telling you, the kind of praying that moves heaven comes from a heart of hospitality. It comes from a confidence in God's character. And it comes from a pleading for people. But finally, and perhaps a point that should really get into our heart more than any of the others, is this idea that it comes from a friend to a friend. That's the kind of praying that moves heaven. You think about that with me for just a second. Abraham was called what? He was called a friend of God, James 2 and verse 3. Can you imagine the kind of conversation that was taking place here in Genesis chapter 18? Can you imagine the the depths of that conversation taking place with someone that you weren't tight with? Do you think you could carry on a conversation like that 
with that vulnerability? Abraham was talking to the creator of the universe. And he says, won't you, the judge of all the earth, do the right thing? You don't talk to God that way unless God is your friend. In clinical work, one of the things that that we're taught as therapists is in order to do good clinical work, you have to develop a therapeutic alliance. And it's something that continues in process from the first day of therapy to what I hate to call, which is what it's called, termination day. Doesn't that just sound awful? I'm going to terminate you. Sounds horrible. But from day one to day last, you're developing and working on a therapeutic alliance. But before you can really dig in and do good therapeutic work, you have to have a strong alliance, relationship. And when that relationship is developed and established, guess what? People will pour their hearts out to you because they have such confidence in you. There's some debate in the clinical world as to whether or not a therapist should engage in self-disclosure with clients. One of the, the uh, well-known therapists, a man by the name of Irvin Yalom, he said that you really can't do good therapy unless you engage in a great deal of self-disclosure. And so what that means is here you have the one with whom you're working that has come to seek therapy. They are disclosing what's going on in their life because they're seeking help. And you, as the therapist trying to provide that help, you're disclosing some of what's going on in, their, on, in your life so that they feel more normal. And it starts to develop a therapeutic bond or relationship. What was Jesus called? Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He was a counselor. He was the greatest counselor. And when I think about his father, and if I put him into that sphere as a counselor, if you will, I want a great therapeutic alliance with the great counselor. I want to be able to disclose things to him. I want to be able to pour my heart out to him. And I can. And I can move him if he's my friend. Let me, let me get into your heart for just a second. How has your prayer life been? Maybe your prayer life has been somewhat like mine at times. Where you pray and you pray and you're just convinced He's not there. He's not not listening. He's not answering. Life is in chaos and I don't understand. Are you acting like God's friend? I mean, he's your friend. The problem is not with him. 
But are you being a friend to God? What made Abraham be able to be a friend of God? That's a lesson within and of itself. But one of the things is he trusted him. Do you trust God? That can be tough at times. But I I can't think of anybody else to put my faith in when times are hard than the one who has the power to take the difficulty and the struggles away from me, even if it's for a time, so that I can regroup and reestablish that confidence that I once had and be able to go again than God. we wrap up, I just want us to think about this idea of the kind of prayer that moves heaven. We know the kind of praying that moves heaven. That's what we've been talking about. But the kind of prayer that moves heaven. If we go back to where we started as we make full circle, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Righteousness, right doing, not based on what I think is right, but based on what God says is right. Will you do what God says is right for you this morning so that God's eyes and ears will be open to your prayers? Say, I I want to. I can't imagine going through life without the ability to talk to God as my friend. I want to do it. What do I have to do? It's real simple. It's real simple. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. What am I confessing? My confidence that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that? When the Ethiopian nobleman was on his way home from worshiping, he was in Jerusalem. He was a proselyte, a convert to uh, to Judaism. And he's on his way home and he's reading from Isaiah 53, which we read uh, a part of this morning. He's reading that and disciple of the Lord Philip is called to him and and says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? I don't understand unless somebody tells me. Okay, well, you're reading about Jesus, the Son of God. And you know what he wants from you? He wants you to make the confession that Jesus is God's Son. He wants you to make him the Lord of your life. And he wants you to be immersed in water and have every sin of the past washed away. How do you know that? Because of what he did. What did he do? He said this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that? What did he do next? The Bible says that the chariot stopped and they got out of the chariot. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. And after that, he got out of the water, and the Bible says that he went on his way rejoicing. And I wonder if as he was rejoicing and he has that song, that song on his lips... I wonder if after he finishes that praising, 
if he then starts praying from the heart as a friend to a friend. Would you do that today? Think about it. Together we now stand and as we sing.